Well, we're going to be reading out of Luke chapter 24, I believe it is. But before we do that, I'd like us to turn to Exodus chapter 20. Genesis, Exodus, second book in the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, chapter 20. And as Susan puts up the Ten Commandments on the screen, these are the Ten Commandments. Is everyone awake this morning? Okay, good. All right, I'm glad to hear that. If you're not, I will try to wake you. I just need to know how much I've got to do in that direction, so you help me out. I know it's discouraging to get up and see all that snow. It'd be at least another week of it here, so hang in there. If we don't get the cold weather now, in the winter we'll get it in the summer, so we're paying now so we don't have to pay later. So that's how we have to look at it, right? Okay. Lord, thank you for your word. Exodus chapter 20. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Any of you been brought out of the house of slavery? Yes, we have. Slavery of sin. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water under the, under the earth. I'm reading just a little more, more than what Maybe up here, so I'm reading it out of the text. You shall not worship them or serve them. Now, this is very important. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. And we'll have to teach on that another time because there's a whole lot in there. But showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me, and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. That's something that's really fallen by the wayside, hasn't it? I'd like to say to you, you know, a lot of folks have to work on Sunday, us included, but I would like to say to you, take some day of the week off to rest. Just clear your mind, spend time reading your Bible, relaxing, take at least a day off. Don't just work seven days a week. It's not good at all for you, either in physically or naturally. You should not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Okay, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. And in it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servants, or your cattle, or your sojourners who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the, seventh, the Sabbath day and made it holy. The next one, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. That is to lie and say something happened when it didn't, or vice versa. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, 
or his car, or his house, or his swimming pool, or his bank account, or his job, and all of the above. Or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And all the people perceived the thunder and lightning flashes and the smoke and the, or the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. And they said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but let not God speak to us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you, in order that the fear of him may remain with you so that you may not sin. Isn't that amazing? The fear of God that you may not sin. Do you know the fear of God is pretty much done in the church? Nobody preaches on the fear of God anymore, do we? I try to, because it's important for us to understand the grace of God, the grace of God that God exhibited through Jesus Christ, didn't he? God has always been gracious, though, in the Old Testament. He's very gracious. He's very patient. He's very merciful. And if we had time, we'd go into that more than, than what I'm going to today. But he was very gracious. But the most gracious thing God did was sent his son, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, to die and take the sins of us on himself. That was the grace of God. That wasn't something that Jesus decided to do and say, oh, you know what? My God in heaven, he's such an angry God that some people make him out to be today. He's so angry Listen, I'm going to step in. I'm going to be like the one that gets in the middle. And I'm going to step between God's anger and between, between humans. And I'm going to come up with an idea that I can please God. It wasn't like that at all. God the Father had the plan from the very foundation of the earth. God the Father knew that man was going to sin. He knew that Adam was going to fall. And he knew there had to be a plan. And he had a plan to come himself in human form, to suffer, to live as a human being, be tempted as a human being, and die as a human being without sinning. And he did it. And he did it. So let's go to Luke. Let's go to Luke chapter 24. If anyone needs a Bible, just raise your hand. We'll get you a Bible. If anyone needs one. Luke 24, we know last week we talked about the Easter, of course, the resurrection, that Jesus died and how he died for us, but the good news is he rose from the dead. So let's read the story. You know, a lot of times I've learned that if we just pick out verses and read them, that we don't always get the whole story. So we're going to take a little time this morning to, to read the verses, to get the chapter. We can't read the whole book, of course, for the sake of time. I hope that you will. But we're going to read through much of this to help us get a bigger picture. And that's why I read through the Ten Commandments this morning rather than just doing our highlights. But we want to look at this and get the most out of this. I'm going to say that a lot of people today, a lot of Christians, just I'm going to springboard off a little bit, rabbit trail, but a lot of Christians have no understanding of a biblical worldview. I just wrote a blog. If you go on our website, you can get it, or we can email it to you if you haven't. But it's just, it's in brief, but it's what is a biblical worldview? And we need to understand that there is such a thing. And a biblical worldview comes from the Bible. It comes from the truths and concepts that are in the Bible, as opposed to what comes 
at us through the world, through our learning institutions, through our news media, through, through whomever. But there's a biblical worldview that we need to develop, and that comes from, again, reading the Bible and getting the heart of God, understanding the will of God. What is the will of God? What is the plan of God for salvation? What is the plan for the end times? Which, by the way, if you come Wednesday night, we're talking about the end times, book of Revelation, and I'm sure you'll learn an awful lot. So let's start in chapter 24 of, of uh, Luke, verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices, these are the ladies, which they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened that while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling apparel. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? Do you notice that God is always asking questions, even when he knows the answer? Obviously, this wasn't God himself, but these were angels sent from God, weren't they? Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. And returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven apostles and to all the rest. Now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James. Also other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. You know that women were the first ones to preach the gospel. Isn't that good news, ladies? How does that work when women are supposed to be silent in the churches? I think there's a problem there, don't you? Yes, I think that's taken out of context. Women should be silent in the church. That's another topic. But the women came and they told the men, they told the apostles, and these words appeared to them as nonsense. And they would not believe them. Here are great spiritual foundations, our apostles. When they heard these words, they said, that doesn't make any sense to us. But the women are saying, he's not there. He rose from the dead. The angel told us, we looked. The tomb's empty. They appeared as nonsense, and they would not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and we know John also went, and stooping and looking, in the, he saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home, marveling at what, he had just, what had just happened. So then it moves on, the story moves on, in verse 13. Behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, and which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. How long does it take to walk seven miles? What, two and a half hours maybe? Roughly? A couple days for some people. (laughs) (laughs) And they were conversing with each other. They had little time to talk. And they were conversing with each other about all these things which had taken place. And it came about that while they were conversing and discussing, Jesus himself appeared approached and began traveling with them. He approached, excuse me. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. Were you ever in a place where your eyes didn't, couldn't see him? You just couldn't see him. You just lived your merry old life or your painful old life, whatever it was, and you just couldn't see him. You heard about him, but you couldn't, you couldn't see him. I'm not talking physically. 
I'm talking, you just you couldn't be aware of him. These people that did, you're the, these Jesus freaks, these, these crazy people, you know, these religious kooks, that kind of thing. That's what you thought about people like you and I today, right? Yeah. They were conversing, and Jesus approached them, began traveling with them, and their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are talking? And they stood still, looking sad. And the one of them, named Cleophas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? Why would Jesus say, What things? Because he's always asking questions, isn't he? Who told you to eat of the fruit? Remember? God's always asking questions, even though he knows the answers. And they said to him, The things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to the sentence to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. But also some, you know, when he's saying he was hoping, they were hoping that someone would come and deliver Israel from the Romans. Romans had been occupying Israel, or, and they wanted, them, they wanted to get rid of that oppression. They didn't want these other people ruling over them. So they had great hopes in Jesus, that he was the coming Messiah, the coming king. And they mixed up the first coming with the second coming. And so on we go here. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly. I'm sorry, i got to back up. But also some women among us amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said. But him they did not find, they did not see. And he said to them, Jesus that is, said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken? Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Have you done that? Have you gone through the scriptures and find all the old scriptures, the Old Testament and found all the scriptures referring to Jesus as coming, the Messiah, his first coming and his second coming. It's a good thing to do. Because all those people could not be wrong. All those people couldn't line up perfectly and be wrong, could they? It's amazing. Just amazing. And he began to do that, beginning with Moses and all the scripture. And they approached the village, verse 28, where they were going, and he acted as though he would go further. And they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it's getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. And he went in to stay with them. And it came about that when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Amazing. Can you put yourself in that place? 
What if it was you in that household? Or you on that road walking along? Then this stranger comes up and you have this conversation and you invite him into his, and you suddenly, it's the Lord. And then he's gone. That would, that would, that'd blow your mind, wouldn't it? That's a 60s, 70s thing. Blow your mind, isn't it? And their eyes were open and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? Were not our hearts burning? Do your hearts burn? As Rick was saying earlier about the fire God has for us in our life. There's a fire of the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes you can get into just everyday life. You get into everyday stuff. As Rick said, paying the bills and going to work and setting the alarm clock and taking care of the kids and so on. But is your fire burning in you for the Lord? And some of us would have to say, no, my fire's going out. No, I just got a few coals in there. But I have news for you. I have good news for you. I hope that's why you came, because there's always good news. The good news is, no matter what shape you're in, no matter what condition your heart is in, if you will cry out to the Lord, He will revive your heart. He will refire your heart. And you might say, I still don't even know if I believe. The veil is on your eyes. And if you'll keep pressing in, say, God, I don't know if you're real or not, but show yourself to me. Show yourself to me. Guess what? He'll do that. Why? Because he's faithful. He's faithful to us. And he promises in John, if any man come to me, or woman, or child, I will in no way cast that person away. Some people have a very difficult time coming to Christ because we don't feel worthy. We don't feel accepted. We don't feel that there's no way I can be like those other people. I can't be like that. Oh, yes, you can. Because the only reason other people are different, perhaps, than you in the sense that they may seem more holy, they may seem more put together, or have a greater understanding spiritually, or their life's more, it's because of what Jesus has already done in their life. It's not just human effort. It's what Christ can do in our life. It's the Holy Spirit at work in our life. That's good news. You see, if you could change yourself, I could change myself. Oh, sure, we have to make effort. But if I could actually change myself, I wouldn't need a savior. I would be a perfect example of secular humanism. That whole philosophy, a whole ideology of secular humanism. That man is the top. Men can do it. Men can, we, we need, all we need is science. All we need is better education and so on. Well, those things are good. But without Jesus, the spirit of man is dead, it's sleeping, it's blinded, it cannot see. It cannot see this glorious Jesus Christ. You cannot see into his kingdom. If you can't see into his kingdom, the only kingdom you're going to see is the secular worldview, the humanistic world. That's the only thing, the natural world. We were at our daughter's yesterday, and she had a scripture up from 2 Corinthians. She has a, a blackboard on her, in her kitchen. It was from 2 Corinthians. The things that are seen are temporal, Paul writes. The things that are seen are temporal. The things that are unseen are eternal. You can see this cane right here. You know what? Someday that's, that's not going to exist. It's going to be a bunch of ashes, 
or it's going to go back to the dust and you'll never know that Cain existed. That's the, that's the, that's the physical realm. Someday, our bodies will do the same, won't they? Thank you, Jim. Someday, our bodies will do the same. Why? Because there's an eternity is in our heart. There's an eternity in our heart. There is a life in our life, in our spirit. We have a spirit. And just as Jesus died and rose from the dead, he was given a glorified body. You and I, if we are believers in Christ, will one day have a glorified body. It will never get sick. You'll never get gray hair, probably. You'll never lose your hair. Ladies, your hair will probably never turn anything than what your natural color was. It'll be, it'll be in wrinkles. You know, no arthritis, no cancers. There's nothing. There'll be no sickness, no disease. You'll be a glorified body. And let's go ahead here. There's some more good news. I'll pick it up in verse 32. And they said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road? While he was explaining the scriptures to us? Do you ever have those moments when things just come alive in the Bible? It just comes alive. Isn't that a wonderful feeling? It's just, wow. It's a revelation. It's a revealing. It comes alive. I remember when I came to Jesus, I knew about him, went to Sunday school, went to church, so on. But when I bowed my knee down and asked him to come in my heart and prayed a prayer that I read out of a book, something happened inside of me. My, it was open to me. Did not our hearts burn? My life was never the same from that day. Was it perfect? Absolutely not. Did I struggle? Absolutely. Were things difficult? Absolutely. At times it was beyond what I thought was humanly possible. But we kept pressing through, and God keeps giving us strength. He keeps giving us hope. He keeps giving us an inner power that is greater than anything that can happen from the outside. Is that right? Are you awake this morning? I guess I asked that question already. Somebody say, Amen, or will you stop, and I'm getting, I'm getting off the bus, one or the other. <laughs> Amen, or oh me, I guess. Okay, let's move ahead. So, Jesus, our hearts were burning, and they, and they rose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. That very night, this night time's coming, they got up and they headed back to Jerusalem. And they found to gather together the eleven, those who were with them. There was twelve, but Judas had committed suicide because he was the betrayer saying, the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon, Peter. And they began to relate their experiences on the road and how he recognized, was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. So these two men from the road to Emmaus go back to Jerusalem, the seven miles back, and they tell everybody, hey, he's alive. It's right, he's alive, he's alive. And they tell of their experiences. And in verse 36, and while they were, were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst. Jesus himself stood in their midst while they're testifying of Jesus. What would happen if Jesus appeared in our midst today? If you're a non-believer, you would be a believer. And if you're a believer, your heart would be burning. And probably a little fear would come on us too. 
You remember when John saw Jesus in the book of Revelation, the glorified Christ, there was more than a little fear. So there he has, the Lord appeared, stood in their midst, and they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do droughts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, it's I, myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. He's got a glorified body, but he's got flesh and bones. And when they had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And they still could not believe it for joy. And we're marveling. this time it's for joy that they're having trouble. How many times have you had people say, I can't believe it? You know, we prayed for people and they get healed and they say, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. All the pain's out of my body. I can't believe it. I can move my arm. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And I say, you can believe it. You can't believe it. You can't believe it. Start believing it. Start believing it. <laughs> don't doubt. Don't doubt. Don't doubt. Go back to belief here. But they were out of joy. They just couldn't believe it. It was just so amazing to them. He's the first one who was ever raised, resurrected from the dead. Uh, Lazarus and other people, Jesus raised them from the dead. But they were raised back as in their natural body. Jesus is raised in a resurrected body. In a glorified body, as the Apostle Paul tells us. Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands, my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you say that I have. And when he showed them his hands and feet, verse 41, and while they they could not believe it for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? Does that ever strike you as a a bit peculiar? Do you have anything here to eat? He's saying, look at my hands, look at my hands, look at my feet. He's saying, look at the nail wounds in my hands. My feet, his side. You know, when he said to Thomas one time, stick your hand into my, this wound. Stick your, look it, touch it. And then he says, do you have anything here to eat? <laughs> but he's got a glorified body. And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate it before them. Why do you think he did that? To show him that he was real, that he wasn't just a, a nebulous, phantom spirit kind of a thing floating about, but it was real. It's real. You know, the unseen world is more real than the seen world. So he ate the fish. Verse 44, Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. We covered a few of those last week. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, This is written, that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. And the repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. We are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them. What is he talking about there? The power from God on high. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to touch on that for a moment. 
He's talking not about water baptism. Water baptism is extremely important. What he's talking about here is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's another baptism. It's another baptism. And he's saying stay because they were baptized, weren't they? They were baptized in water. And now he's saying, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father. What was the promise? What was the promise of the Father? He is the promise of the Holy Spirit and fire. He will baptize. John baptizes you in water, but he who is coming will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. Right? The Holy Spirit and with fire. We need the fire of God. Send the fire, O God. Send the fire. Because when the fire of God comes on us, it's revival time. It's re- we, are, we are... Nothing can stop the church of God when the church is on fire. You know what? We need some kindling. I think a lot of us perhaps are kindling. We're dry like kindling wood. Well, the nice thing about kindling wood is when it catches flame, it really burns hot. But it only burns for a while, doesn't it? You have to have some other fuel on the fire. God wants to bring some fuel. And if we'll keep crying out for fire in our hearts and lives, I will guarantee you we will see changes in our life. Some of us have gotten into a stupor. Some of us have gotten into, a, a, like Rick was talking about earlier, just so fitting, about much of his Christian life. It was a life where he just kind of, kind of lived. Didn't have the fire of God in his life. And some of you maybe have never experienced the fire of God. If you will cry out to God and say, God, I want to experience the fire that you have, the fire, the passion God doesn't give us those sorts of things so that we may be prideful and be exalted and lifted up. He gives us those things to change the world with. He gives us those things to give us a passion for him. There's times that I just don't feel like reading the Bible. I'd rather just go read something that's fun reading, pleasure reading. And I have to say, God, give me a desire for your word. God, give me a desire to pray. There are times like that. Why? Because we're humans, aren't we? We're humans, and we have weaknesses, and we all have those weaknesses. But God has called us to seek him, that we may have the fire of God in our life. Do you know that in Jeremiah, chapter 14, I believe it is, Jeremiah says, he says to them, he said to to Israel, he said, if you can't keep up with the footman, how will you keep up with the cavalry? If you can't do it on the plains out here, how will you do it in the thickets of Jordan? How will you keep up? What is he saying to us spiritually? He's saying, if we are just maintaining, how do we ever get beyond that? If we just maintain, how do we bring the kingdom of God about? If we're just maintaining, if we're just smoldering coals, how do we do it? Can anyone tell me? It's through human effort and human strength. It's got to be through the power of the Holy Spirit working through us. When we read the book of Acts, we can see the power, and they waited for the power of the Holy Spirit to come. And the Spirit came upon the people. The Spirit came, and he fell in that upper room, and it changed the church. The church was hiding. They were hiding in the upper room. They were afraid of what was going to happen to them. And the power of God came on that church in such a way that they just blew out the doors. They blew out the doors. They blew the doors open. They threw the doors open. They ran out on the streets. And Peter began to preach about this Jesus, 
whom you crucified. And over 3,000 people were saved. That's the fire of God, isn't it? Isn't that the fire of God? How many want the fire of God? I think we should all want the fire of God and the passion of God. Because the times are coming, and times are, where this world's getting rougher and rougher. Have you noticed that? There's a time coming when there's going to be great deception on this, in this world. Just hang with me a little bit longer. And you've been shoveling snow all week, and I can just tell you, just the warmth. But the, the deception of the Antichrist is coming along. It's a process that's coming along. Deceivers come into the church body. I'm talking about universally. If we can't discern bad doctrine now, if we can't discern treacherous heresy now, if we can't pick out the false teachers now, how will we keep up with the Calvary? When the, with the, the petty usurpers are coming down the pike now, you understand what I'm saying? These are usurpers, people that take positions they don't, they don't have, no, they have no right to have the false teachers, the false prophets. If we can't keep up, if we can't discern now, in this time, how do we discern down the road when things get much more deceptive? We need the fire of God. The fire of God drives us into the word of God. The holiness of God drives us to him. Our first love. Now some of you think, I'm saved. What are you talking about? This is kind of a hard message. I'm saved. I love the Lord. I'm going to heaven. If you will read Revelation in the first three chapters, and you read about the first seven churches, you'll notice only two churches did the Lord have, did not have a rebuke for. And one of those, the very first church, he said to them, I have this against you. You've lost your first love. Now, you don't think that applies to us? Absolutely applies to us. If we lose our love for him, and it's easy to do, we're human. But if we lose that love for him, he will rebuke us. We need to be continually calling out for him to come in and change us from the inside out, right? To be filling us with the Holy Spirit. We need his power in our life. Just Jesus was raised from the dead, not just so that we could have a, he could have a, be a spectacle about this or we could have crosses hanging up in church buildings and so on. He raised, was raised from the dead to give us life and to spread his life, to spread his kingdom. It's not just about church, it's about the kingdom of God. The book of Revelation is about Jesus coming back. Daniel and the book of Revelation is about Jesus coming back and defeating the primary usurper of earth, and that is Satan. He's coming back to defeat him. And then you know what he's going to do? He is going to turn his kingdom over to his people, his saints. 
Read Daniel chapter 7. Three times. And the saints. Now, the saints, as I'm going to close here in just a moment, the saints aren't just what you would see as people that statues are made of and have to be canonized. They have to be 100 years old. They have to have done a miracle, that sort of thing. A biblical definition of a saint is a believer in Jesus Christ. See, you are saints. If you're a believer and you're born again, you're a saint. And God is going to turn the kingdom back over. This is the whole process of the crucifixion to defeat Satan. And now, this amazing, this amazing victory that Jesus has as we approach these end times. Isn't that good news? So God has nothing but good news for us. If we're following him. If we're not following him, there's nothing but bad news. Agreed? The book says it. If you're in that place where there's nothing but bad news and no hope, we're going to take a few moments this morning and pray with you, and we'd like to have you come up in front and we, so we can pray with you. And sometimes we have to, uh, sometimes it's not just a general prayer, but it's a prayer that maybe we can help you and guide you along, maybe lead you to the Christ. If you've never asked him into your life, help you with some things. And you know what? He's more than willing. If you step out, step towards him, he's more than willing to step towards you. That's good news. Don't let anybody ever tell you that the Bible is not good news. It's good news for any who believe it. So as we close this morning, I'd like to encourage anyone here that if you need the power of God in your life, the fire of God in your life, just to please come up forward. And we'd like to pray with you. And for the rest of you that we have food and fellowship downstairs, and you're welcome to come down, invite somebody. There's lots of food, coffee, that sort of thing. But we'd like to pray for anyone who would like to know Jesus more and like the fire of God in their heart. So please come. Please come. Father, thank you for these people. Bless them. Encourage them, we pray. Keep them safe. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.